This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Let's take our Bibles. Would you join me in the book of Numbers? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We're going to be towards the end of the book. You'll find your place in chapter 22. Today we're going to consider one of the most unfamiliar Christmas texts in the Bible. You already understand that. We're turning to Numbers. I'll give you the title of today's message, and you follow along to see if this title is accurate. Now let me just say, you know that I try to be very careful with the Word of God, I don't try to be silly with the Word of God, but I hope today's title you'll see from Scripture and it will help you remember this Christmas prediction. So here's the title. A dumb king, a dumber sorcerer, and a Christmas prediction. Now those are strong words. Whenever you tell somebody they're dumb, Uh, You better have something to back that up. Well, what we're going to see today is the Bible backs it up. Your numbers 22. Last Lord's Day, again, we looked at Moses through the lens of Hebrews 11, 26, which showed us that Moses, by faith, accepted the call to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt because... He was motivated by the promise of Christ. And that's what Hebrews 11 says. Christ, the Greek word for Messiah. Moses understood that the people of God needed to be in the land promised to Abraham for the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. And what was that? Multiple times in Genesis, through his seed, All nations of the earth would be blessed. A reference to Messiah. Now under Moses' leadership and the guidance of the Lord, the children of Israel approached Canaan to enter the promised land. Numbers 21 gives the account of how they defeat the Amorites and then enter the plains of Moab. Understand, they're coming right up along the Jordan River at this point. Balak, the pagan king of Moab, hired a sorcerer to curse the Jews. Numbers 22, 1 to 14, tell us what happened. And and let's just look at this. We're going to be reading uh, some longer passages of Scripture, but it is important to set The background here, after the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all the children of Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many, and Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are around us about, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites, 
at that time. He sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Beor, Pethor, which was by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Now notice how many times the size of the nation of Israel is mentioned. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Verse 6. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure, I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I know not uh, that he whom thou blessest is blessed, or I know, I'm sorry, that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination. You may want to underline that word in your Bible, in their land. All right, and so let's pause for a moment. They're afraid of the Israelites. Rightfully so. And so this king's answer is to hire a sorcerer. And through divination, that's why I pointed out this word, through divination to try to put a hex on this nation so that the Moabites can defeat them. And they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me, and the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. What we start to see is maybe this guy's for real. Maybe he's not a sorcerer. Maybe he's a prophet. I mean, he's interested in what the Lord has to say. And so he tells him to wait. He's going to go to the Lord, our God. We'll see later. He's not the God of Balaam, though. Verse 9, And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? Balaam said unto God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them, peradventure. I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Now stop. Who's blessed them? Now, this is where the story becomes interesting. If God's blessed them, Balaam, why are you asking God if you should go with these guys? And this is where we begin to question, how smart really are these guys? Verse 13, And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balaam, Get you under your land, and the, uh, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went unto Balak, and said, Balaam refuseth to come to us. Now verse 14 is very significant. Did Balaam deliver to these representatives of Moab, did he deliver them to them the message of God, yes or no? No, he did not. No, he did not. So if you're a faithful prophet and God speaks, do you give uh, part of what God has said, or do you give all of what God has said? 
He is not a faithful prophet. That gets established pretty quickly here in the text. Now, I don't want to sound unkind, but Balak is one dumb king. First of all, he admits these people have left Egypt. Egypt is a far greater empire than he's got. In fact, he's just a king of a small uh, nation. But he knows, just like when we get into Joshua, the people of Jericho know, everybody knows how they got out of Egypt. God brought them through the Red Sea. He destroyed Pharaoh and his army in that sea. And by the way, now Balak's next door neighbors, they just got whooped too. Not because Israel is invading territory. When Moses came to the neighbors next door, he said, look, we just want to pass through. We won't eat your crops. We won't drink your water. Can we just pass through? And the neighbor came out to try to fight him. And then God delivered the neighbor in, into their hands. So God defeated Egypt. He just defeated my next door neighbor. And now I'm hiring a sorcerer to put a hex on, on these people so that I can defeat them. There's one dumb king. And by the way, these plains of, of Moab, they're right along the Jordan. The major cities of Moab are all up in the mountains. These people are no threat except that they may eat up the grass down there like oxen eat up the grass. If you're smart, stay home, leave them alone. And that doesn't even take into account what these people knew about how God had sustained and grown this nation in a wilderness. All right. And so we move on. Again, they only need to pass through this king's land. Then Balak's emissaries returned to the sorcerer Balaam. And we pick up the story in verse 15. Balak sent yet Again, princes, more of them, and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said unto him, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. For I will promote thee unto a very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. Now again, verse 17 is very important. What's he saying? I'll give you honor. I'll make you somebody. And whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. We're going to find out later that Balaam, and it's not stated directly in this text, but Balaam does give him some advice, and it's awful. He does follow that advice, and it leads to great tragedy in Israel. Now verse 18, Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his household of, house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Again, we can be impressed by that, but already we're discovering some things about this man. Now therefore I pray thee, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. Now, verse 19, has God spoken? He's spoken. Just tell these guys, get off my property. 
Leave. He doesn't do that. Well, let me go see if God's changed his mind. And God came unto Balaam at night, verse 20, and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I do say unto thee, that shalt thou do. Now God knew all along what he was going to do. And so at this point, God is going to use Balaam and this dumb king to accomplish even greater things for his glory. God had already blessed his people with the Abrahamic covenant. He cannot change his mind about this. Now, hold your place here, and I want you to see something. God will say this very thing to Balak through Balaam. Later in the message, we're going to see that Actually, Balaam then begins to prophesy. God begins to speak through him several wonderful prophecies related to Israel. One of those related to what we're celebrating here at Christmas. But hold your place. Go over to chapter 23 and notice verse 19. God is going to remind Balaam and Balak something about himself. Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot, what's the next word? I can't reverse it. <laughs> so, Balaam is saying that, but God's speaking through him. Balaam should not have participated any further, but God is going in his great wisdom. Now he's going to speak through this sorcerer and speak the truth. Now here's where we begin to discover this sorcerer is even dumber than the king. Balaam is a mystery to some because he appears to fear the Lord. However, the text reveals he too is pagan, only recognizing God to be one of many gods. You know, you can say, I believe in God. But if you believe in other gods, you really don't believe in God. And by the way, God's not impressed. There's only one God. And he's revealed himself to us through the scriptures. But Balaam believed in the other gods of the Moabites. And by the way, we'll see later that in the sacrificing to those other gods, Balaam participates. Now the text makes the obvious point. Balaam's not so smart. When we get to the story about his donkey... Those of you that know the Bible, you're already chuckling. All right, well, let's take a look at that. We're going to discover that Balaam has a donkey who, frankly, has more spiritual insight than he does, except for when God opens Balaam's eyes. All right, so look now at chapter 22 and verse, make sure I get the right one here. Uh, let's go to verse 21. 
So Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his donkey and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the donkey to turn, him in, to turn her into the way. Let's just pause for a moment. Keep in mind, I remember learning about this in Sunday school. And the flannel graph always showed just the angel and the donkey in Balaam. Balaam is part of an entourage here. So whatever's going to happen, everybody who's from the king of Moab, they're there watching this too. All right, verse 24. But the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side, a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself into the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he smote her again. Verse 26, the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place. There was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. Balaam's anger was kindled. And he smote the donkey with his staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? This is where we... This sorcerer's dumber than the king. He said unto the donkey. At this point, look, folks. Just back up and say, okay. You know, God's involved. My donkey's talking to me. I need to turn around and just go back home. It can't get any worse. My donkey is talking to me. But he is so angry, he doesn't even realize what's going on. Can I just make an application? If you are controlled by anger, you're not going to see what's going on either. That's why we have to be controlled by the Spirit of God. If you're controlled by anger, you're going to do things and say things and then later wonder, what was I thinking? Well, you weren't. Because anger will blind you. It'll blind you so much that a donkey can talk to you. You're not even realizing what's going on. Balaam said unto the donkey, because thou hast mocked me. Why is that a problem? Because I'm surrounded by representatives of a king. I would there was a sword in mine hand, for now I would kill thee. And the donkey said unto Balaam, Am not I thine donkey, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever want or known to do so unto thee? And he said, he had to admit, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. It's at this point that he realizes, this donkey just saved my life. All right. Now 
Again, the title of my message, would you agree, a dumb king, but an even dumber sorcerer. At this point, though, he's not going to go home. With everything that's happened, he's still going to keep going. Now let's look at verse 34. Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displease thee, I will go back again. The angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that shalt thou speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. And when Balak heard that Balaam was come, he went out to meet him in the city of, unto a city of Moab, which was in the border of Arnon, which is on the, utter, or the utmost coast, right at the edge. So this is right at the edge of, of Moab's territory. Balak said unto Balaam, Did I not earnestly send thee to call thee? Wherefore camest thou not unto me? Uh, am I not able indeed to promote thee to honor? And Balaam said unto Balak, Lo, I am come unto thee. How I or have I now any power to do at all to say uh, anything, the word of God that God putteth in my mouth, that shall I speak. And Balaam went with Balak, and they came uh, unto Kerjath Huzoth. Balak offered oxen and sheep and sent to Balaam and to the princes that were with him. Now verse 40, again, is very important. Some Bible scholars have concluded that the parts of the sacrifice given to Balaam, right there in verse 40, included what is well known to have happened during this time. With their superstitious sacrificing and so forth, and this happened right up through the, the Roman Empire, they would take parts of an animal that was sacrificed and they would read those parts, specifically the liver, and, and tell fortunes out of that to talk about what was going to happen. Many Bible scholars think that at this point with the sacrifices, what was given to Balaam was so that he could read that to predict what would take place. Then the king, his entourage, and the sorcerers come uh, to one of the high places of the house of Baal. Look at verse 41. We're going to try to uh, speed things along here. And they came to pass in the morrow. Balak took Balaam and brought him unto the high places of Baal, that thence he might see the utmost part of the people. That word utmost in the Hebrew means the edge or the border of these people, the Israelites. The question you have to ask is, were these people so vast in number that to view the entire nation, even this mountain vantage point wasn't high enough to be able to see all these people? Now again, this is confirmed when you get to chapter 23 and verse 10. Because what Balaam will say from the Lord Chapter 23, verse 10. Here's, here's some of the prophecy. Look at the first part of verse 10. Who can count the dust of Jacob? And the number of the fourth part, just a quarter of the part of Israel. So here are these men 
on a mountain overlooking what we know as the Jordan Valley, and they're looking down, and they're just looking at a portion of the children of Israel, and it's, it's massive. And once again, you got two men on a hill who have just sacrificed. They're doing this divination, and the one wants the other to put a curse on these people. Four attempts will follow this as Balak tries to get Balaam to curse Israel. They move to different locations uh, and he tries to get him to curse. And every time they move and Balaam opens his mouth, it's another blessing from God. It happens four times, but I want us to understand that of those four times, in chapters 23 and 24, what you have are a series of blessings that are proclaimed by God through Balaam. Now, one of those blessings we're going to consider, and then we're done this morning. Chapter 24, please go to verse 17. Here's what Balaam says. Chapter 24, verse 17, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Let's pause for a moment. Let me ask you, when you look at the word star and scepter, as it is in my King James Bible, what do you notice that's unique about those two words? Good. They're capitalized. Do you know why the translators did that? In the Hebrew... These are in the masculine voice and they're singular. In other words, the star, the scepter. This can only be speaking about Messiah. And to prove he's Messiah, read on, and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. At this point, the king of Moab isn't so happy. What was just prophesied? Let's look closely now at this prophecy. Balaam predicts that through God, whoever he is speaking of, first of all, Balaam, this sorcerer, is going to see him at some point in the future. Balaam is just repeating words, but what does God have him say? At some point, Balaam, you're going to stand before King Jesus. Indeed, every knee will bow, Philippians 2, 10 to 12, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm not sure as, as believers if we're going to have a front row seat to what happens at the great white throne. But think about who's going to come before the Lord and confess him as Lord. Balak? Balaam? And there's going to be everybody else who through their lives have denied that Jesus is... Think about when Hitler comes and bows the knee to King Jesus. Yeah. Let's read on. There shall come a star. Again, the masculine singer, out of Jacob, 
and a scepter, again, masculine, singular, shall rise out of Israel. So someone, someone will arise out of Jacob and be a glorious, well-known leader possessing a kingly scepter. That's what it's saying here. A star will rise. Get the imagery there? That's what he's talking about. Now, consider this. The initial fulfillment of this was through Israel's star king. Who was that? Who's their most famous king? It's David, not Solomon. It's David. But through David, God would send his son, Jesus. He would then, think about this, God would prepare a star to lead wise men to where his star was born. I love that. I'll read on, and shall smite, literally the word means to crush, the corners of Moab. Do you know what the word corners is? It speaks of the forehead or the skull. So what the king of Moab heard is this star is going to crush the skulls, the foreheads of your people. And destroy all the children of Sheth. That word Sheth is of unknown origin. It means God has, Seth means God has appointed. And if you look at it, the Hebrew here is saying God has appointed your people for destruction. Verse 18, and Edom, the descendants of Esau, shall be a possession. Seir shall be a possession for his enemies. And Israel shall do valiantly. Verse 19, out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion and shall destroy him that remains of the city. Now in these times, it was true of all this region. When an enemy was coming and invading the people that lived in the country would flee to these fortified cities. And what the prophecy is saying, they may flee to the cities, but they're not even going to survive in the cities. And who's going to cause this judgment? The king and his people Israel. Now would you agree with me that this is an amazing Christmas prediction? But who would have thought it's right here in this account in Numbers. Now let's return to the title of today's message. Does Numbers 22 to 24 reveal a dumb king, a dumber sorcerer, but a glorious Christian, or I'm sorry, Christmas prediction? Yes or no? Would you, would you agree with me? I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be cute. It's what the text is showing us. But I'm hoping the title will help us remember this Christmas prediction. Now it's time to apply what we've seen today and then we're done. The fact this prophecy is given through a sorcerer who is spiritually blind makes the prophecy remarkable. Balaam, who doesn't even know God, is used as the mouthpiece to predict the coming Messiah who is God. This shows the determination of God to fulfill his plan of redemption. And did he fulfill it? Yes, he did. And here we are. God's plan of redemption moves forward whether you choose to believe it or not. Did Balaam believe what was predicted? No. In fact, 2 Peter 2.15 tells us why he did what he did. 
It speaks of the way of Balaam, and it says this, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He gained wealth and notoriety by what he did. Jude 1.11 also mentions Balaam's error. That's the word it uses, referring to the fact that he sought personal gain and to please himself regardless of the prospect of coming judgment. Not so smart. Revelation 2.14 is the most telling verse of all in the Bible about Balaam. Before he left Balak, he advised that king to send the women of Moab into the camp of Israel to tempt them with idolatry and fornication. And that's exactly what happened. And so Revelation 2.14 talks about the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak, advised him to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So before they left, that was the final advice Balaam gave to Balak. You tell me, was he a godly prophet? No. Ultimately, 24,000 Israelites were destroyed by God for their sin. Numbers 25, verse 9. Ultimately, Balaam is killed by the invading armies of Israel. Numbers 31, verse 8 as he enjoyed whatever payoff the king of, Balaam, uh, king of Moab had given uh, to Balaam. Someday he'll stand before King Jesus, whose coming he predicted, but whose coming he didn't believe. Our time is up. Let me just mention one other important nugget of truth. And this is what God has given to us in his word. And I love this. Fast forward to the book of Ruth and you witness the grace of God. Ruth was one of those Moabites from the very people whose king had once tried to curse Israel. See what God's doing here? You know her story. She ends up in a town called Bethlehem having placed her faith in the God who had predicted a star king who would ultimately rule the world. God leads her into the field of a man named Boaz and eventually they're married. Little did she know she would be the great-grandmother of Israel's King David and ultimately the Messiah, Balaam, had predicted a generation earlier. Wow and wow. Mm. Stand amazed with me at how God can use a dumb king, a dumber sorcerer, and give humanity one of the most <laughs> wonderful predictions of Christmas. So, let's close. Have you received Jesus Christ as Savior? You say, well, I'm not sure he would accept me. Guess what? He accepted a Moabite who put her faith in the God of Israel, believed their predictions about Messiah too, and he saved her and made her part of the wonderful plan. God will save you. But if you are too distracted by material things like Balaam 
And by the way, that can happen at Christmas, right? It, it, it amazed me as I studied this text. What is the one thing that blinds us to the truth about Christmas? All the stuff we give to each other at Christmas. If you're blinded by that, you say, I'm not ready to receive Jesus. I've got too much living to do. I've got too much stuff that, that I'm going to get. Can I, can I say this as kindly as I can? You're as dumb as Balaam. If I hadn't received Jesus Christ, and by the way, I'm as dumb as Balaam. But God graciously drew me to himself, and then I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and he saved me. But, but I know people, there have been others in my family who have, who have rejected that for the things of this world. They're as dumb as Balaam. And oh, by the way, you will stand before King Jesus and you will bow your knees and profess him to be Lord of all. And so, let's learn from this text. And today, if you haven't placed your trust in Jesus Christ, would you believe on him and be saved? He says this. King Jesus said this. If you come into me, I won't cast you out. I'll save you. And Christian, please don't be so distracted by all the other things. As children of God, don't be distracted by all of that so that you're not ready to, to declare the message of salvation to those who desperately need to hear. Father, thank you for your word today. Speak to our hearts now as, and help us to respond as you have worked in our hearts through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.